told them that now and he's he's talking them to them he's he's trying to encourage them and help them through that what would have been just a terribly difficult thing for them to accept and and, and understand so uh, these chapters 14 15 and 16 are all just Jesus teaching and trying to encourage his people we go back and we think about the the Bible you think through the Old Testament and what an encouragement it was to God's people always to have God's presence with them. For, for them, that was a source of real comfort. No matter what's going on in the world around them, uh, the fact that they had God with them uh, was a, a great in, encouragement. But that presence through the Old Testament, we see it kind of mediated or, or delivered in several different ways. We, we see that through the Old Testament, there were prophets as we've been studying in Sunday school, who would come and they would give the word of the Lord and they would say, thus says the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. And so God was with his people through the prophets, teaching and instructing them. God was with his people in the Old Testament. It was a great source of comfort to have the temple because the temple represented God's presence. God dwelled in the holy of holies and there, there was God's presence. And and that was kind of mediated through the sacrificial system and through the priests. They would go and they would take the, the offering for the people and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where, where God was said to, to be, where his presence was. And so it was mediated in that way. It was mediated through, through kings. There were kings who ruled over God's people and gave them direction and, and, and instruction uh, the spirit of the Lord would be upon the kings to, to lead them. So, so God's presence for God's people was always a source of, of encouragement and a source of help. But what we find when we come to the New Testament then is that Jesus fulfills all of those things. Jesus is the presence of God with his people. But it isn't just a, sort of a mystical presence in a temple. It isn't just a word through a prophet. It is a, a human being. Jesus, the son of God, took on humanity and came to be with God's people. So you think through uh, all the narratives and the stories of the angels coming to Joseph and, and Mary and, and telling them, giving them different names. And, and those names for Jesus would signify kind of what he was to do. So at one point they say, you'll call him Jesus, right? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means, the Lord's salvation. And so uh, call him Jesus. But another time you, you remember the angel says, you'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us. We just sing about that, right? God with us, God for us. That Jesus was the personal presence of God with his people. This is what John said, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. God came and took on humanity and lived with his people. No longer was it just a temple. No longer was it just a priest. No longer was it just prophets or kings. It was Jesus, the son of God himself, being with his people. People, we can think about the disciples, how that would have elated their hearts and just think about the, the things that Jesus did for his disciples as God with them. Jesus was their teacher. So in the Old Testament, they had prophets that gave them instruction. But now Jesus is that prophet. He he teaches. And, and the Bible says in, in the Gospels that no one spoke like he did. No one had ever spoken. No one taught with the same authority that Jesus taught with. And we see the care that he had even in teaching his, his apostles, the disciples. He would stand up and preach a sermon and then he would take his apostles, his people to the side and he would explain that and give them further instruction. What a great testimony. They could ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he would teach them how to pray. Not only that, Jesus would defend them. 
uh, as their king. So we think about uh, the times that the Pharisees would come and make accusations about the, the apostles and Jesus would step in and defend his disciples. He would provide protection as they're on the boat. And these are these are trained fishermen who have been on a boat since the time they were young kids. And they were so afraid they were going to drown. They knew this was a bad storm, worse than anything they'd ever seen. And Jesus stands up and protects them. And he calls out to the winds and waves, be still. He protects his people. So he provides protection. But now Jesus, in this passage, in this whole chapter 14, 15, and 16 of John, Jesus is telling them, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And that's where our, our passage, uh, really in John 16, we see this. He says, I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you rem- may remember that I told you, told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So in these chapters, Jesus is trying to address that sorrow. He's saying, I'm telling you that I'm going back to the heavenly father and sorrow has filled your heart. So let me encourage you. Let me help you with that. And the way that he does that, like in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. The way that Jesus comforts his people is by telling them, listen, I'm going away, but I'm coming back to you. I'll be with you again. And and through these three chapters, we see three ways that Jesus says that he'll be with his people. First of all, in chapter 14, verse 1 and, and following, we see that great passage where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. So that's obviously a, a, a prediction of the second coming. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare a home for you. But I'm going to come back so that where I am, there you may be also. So we'll be together again. I'm leaving. But let me encourage, let not your heart be troubled. I'm coming back to you. I'll be with you again. The second coming was one of those things that Jesus said, but also the the resurrection in John 16, uh, verse number 16, uh, Jesus says a a little while and you'll see me no more. And yet a little while again, and you will see me. And then he says that your your sorrow will be turned into joy. And I think that's a prediction of the resurrection. So that's the second way Jesus said that he would come back to them. First is the second coming. The, the second is the resurrection. I'm going to die on the cross, but guess what? I'm, I'm going to rise again and you're going to see me. And this sorrow and this grief that you're going to feel for a, just this short little bit of time, it's going to just melt away when you see me again, risen from the dead. But then there's a third coming. Can you imagine what this coming might be? I'm going to come back to you. And in this third coming, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I'll come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's where our passage comes in this morning. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will be with his people through the Holy Spirit. So let's read John 14, verse number 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see the promise there. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. 
Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then look at verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so here we have this promise that Jesus would return to his disciples. But this isn't the second coming. This isn't the resurrection. But instead, Jesus is going to come to his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. He'll be with them through his spirit. And here we see Uh, that Jesus uh, refers to this spirit you see in verse 16 as a comforter. He says, I will send to you another helper or another comforter or another advocate as it's sometimes translated. And again, in verse 16, he says, uh, I tell you, it's to your advantage if I go away, because if I go, I will send the comforter, the helper, the advocate to you to be with you. Well, what is this? Helper. What is he talking about? Well, clearly we see, I think, already that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But what is this word? I asked somebody this week, have you ever heard the song, The Comforter Will Come? We, we sang that growing up. Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm the only one that sang that. But, but we hear that word and you think, comforter, what is that? You know, or helper, what, what does this mean? Uh, comforter sounds like some kind of quilt or something. And I'm going to give you a blanket. I, I'm not sure what this is. Is talking about in both of them, he refers to the Holy Spirit as this helper. And that word helper, it really has a, a deep meaning, a rich meaning. Sometimes when you translate a word from one language into another, you can't just translate it and get an accurate picture with just one word. Uh, and so let me explain to you what this this means. Sometimes that word is translated counselor. Sometimes that word is translated like in the, in the King James, it's translated comforter. And sometimes, like in 1 John, it's translated advocate. And all three of those, I think, hint at and and point out exactly what that word is. And I think we really need to understand each one of those to understand what it is Jesus says that he's going to give to us. The word uh, parakletos is a word that, that literally means to be called alongside somebody, to be called alongside. And it was a word that was used in, in their system of, of courts, a word that was used for somebody that would come and, and help somebody who was on trial. And, and so it, each of those counselor, comforter, advocate, each of them kind of describes a little bit of what that person would do. They would, this, this parakletos, this one who comes alongside somebody who's in, on trial, uh, the first thing they would do would, would be to provide counsel. So they would help them and, and give them instruction and, and try to get them through this. Uh, sometimes the word, therefore, is translated counselor. But this, per- this person would also come and, and would really be kind of a, a, a witness to this person. So they would stand up in front of the judge and, and bear testimony on behalf of this person. And so that's where we get the word advocate. And sometimes we've heard that word translated and we say this is our, our legal defense attorney, right? But, but it isn't really like a, a professional attorney. It's a, uh, someone who would stand up and say, I know this person. 
I, I, I was with them on the night that this happened. This was a person of character. They would never do something like this. It was someone who would advocate for us. So they would provide counsel, but they would also bear witness. They would be an advocate on our behalf. In fact, Jesus, or John uses this word in 1 John and says that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He is before the Father advocating on our behalf. But then there's a, a third way that this, kind of a fir- third facet to this word, and that is where we get that word comforter. And, it, and again, it's not a quilt. Uh, this is somebody that comes to give strength and support and help. So just imagine yourself on trial and you're, you're getting ready to go in and stand before the judge and, and your fate is in the hand of the judge. Here, this is someone who would come alongside of you and encourage you and, and strengthen you. They would give you counsel and they would even stand before the judge on your behalf. But they come just as a friend, as a very close friend and confidant to, to help you and encourage you. This is going to be okay to strengthen you. And each one of those facets kind of, I think, encapsulates the work that the Holy Spirit does for us. In fact, I believe that these three chapters are really the foundation of the rest of what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does for his people. We notice as well that in each one of those things, as we think about as we think about the Holy Spirit as comforter or as an advocate or as a counselor, we really see that what he's doing is just simply continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus had been the counselor of his disciples. He had been the advocate for his disciples. He had been the one to strengthen them and encourage them when they were down or when they were going through something. And now he's saying, I'm going away. But notice what he says here. I'll send you another helper. I've been your advocate. I've been your counselor. I've been your comforter, your your encourager. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you all, all by yourself. I'm going to send to you another helper, somebody else to do the very things that I've been doing on your behalf. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, in the life of Jesus' disciples, is simply to carry out the work that Jesus was doing with his disciples. As we think about what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, he does for us what Jesus did for his disciples in the Gospels. He's our counselor. He's our advocate. He is the one that comforts us and and gives us strength. Well, we're going to look over the the next couple of weeks at each of these facets. I'll just point them out that the Spirit is our counselor. So throughout these passages, Jesus continually refers to him as the, the Spirit of truth. And when he comes, he'll lead you into all truth and he'll guide you into truth. He's going to be your counselor. Just as I've been your teacher, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Not only that, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be your advocate. Jesus says, I'm going to go back to the Father and I'm going to advocate on your behalf before the Father. But the Spirit will advocate on your behalf to the world. He will make our case to the world. So he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So he's going to be your advocate. But this morning, what we really want to contemplate is the fact that that the Holy Spirit, like Jesus was for his disciples, is our comforter. He is the one that gives us strength. He is the one who encourages us in times of weakness. Well, how is it that the Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit encourage us? How does the Holy Spirit help the followers of Christ in times of trial? Well, I think there are several things and we want to just go through them 
First of all, the Holy Spirit comforts us and helps us and encourages us through His personal presence with us. When you're going through a trial, what's, what's one of the most important things? And I don't mean a legal trial. I mean, I mean, you're going through some suffering. You're going through a hard time. Well, I think most people are probably like me. One of the things that I like to know is that I've got people with me. Maybe not even people. Maybe I have a person with me. I grew up very close to, to my brother. and we would, we would go and do things. And there was always sort of an encouragement just... Him there with me. Like it was the two of us. And we, we stood shoulder to shoulder and we, whatever we got into, we got in together. Uh, there was a confidence that it, that, 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 that inspired that me on my own, just, just by myself, I wouldn't have that. But, but having him there. And I know that I've been through trials and I've been through difficulties. And one of the great comforts is having people come to your house and visit with you and talk with you and, pray with you, to know that whatever I'm going through, that this person or these people are going to be standing shoulder to shoulder with me and helping me. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Spirit is with us. Jesus is going to commission his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he's saying, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm not going to leave you all alone. I'm going to give my spirit to you. I'm going to send the spirit to you and he will be with you. And so he, get, he encourages us, first of all, simply by his personal presence. And when we stop and think about this, and when we look at this, what we find out is that the, the spirit really is the spirit of Christ. It is the same spirit that indwelled Jesus as he was here ministering, as he was teaching, as he was making disciples, as he, as he was healing, as he was doing all of his ministry. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying, I'm going to send that same spirit to you, to be with you. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go, whatever we're going through. Just listen to the way that he describes this in our passage. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. It's personal. This is Jesus himself and the person of his Holy Spirit coming to his people. And notice what he says here uh, in verse 21. He says, I will reveal myself to you. I will manifest myself to you. The spirit that was within Jesus comes to indwell us. So again, in verse 17, he says in, in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. You've been with the Spirit all this time as I've been ministering. I had the Spirit. You've been with the Spirit. And now what does he say there? He will be in you. So there's going to be different. Not not, not are you just going to be walking with Jesus and he has the Spirit. He's teaching us. He's counseling us. He's comforting us. Now this Spirit that's been with you is actually going to indwell you. He's going to come and live and reside within your heart and within your soul. The Spirit who's been with you will be in you. So the the very same spirit that Christ had comes within his followers. This is a a tangible experience. This is something that Jesus says his disciples would be able to recognize and see in their lives. You see this in that day. What does it say in verse 20? In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. You will know that I'm within you. Just imagine the, the amazing 
experience that would have been for these apostles who had walked with Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had seen him do the miracles. They had seen all these things. And now that very same spirit that they've recognized all this time on the day of Pentecost comes and indwells them. And Jesus says, on that day, you'll know that this spirit that's been with you is now in you. It's a tangible experience. In fact, Romans 8, Paul says, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. He testifies internally to us that we have the spirit. This is actually even what we see Jesus teaching. It's actually even a superior experience to the one that they had had walking with Jesus. Imagine how wonderful that would have been. And you stop and think, hey, would it be nice to have Jesus go to work with you? Wouldn't it be nice to have Jesus walking side by side with you, talking with you? Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was preaching today? It'd be, be far better for sure. Those things would be wonderful, but but notice what Jesus says in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, apostles, I've been with you. Nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go away. In what world can Jesus say, it's good, it's good for you, it's better for you if I leave you? What could make that good? How could that be for their advantage? He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The experience that we have, Christians, of having the Holy Spirit of God within our hearts and within our souls is a a more advantageous experience. It is better. It is more effective for us than if Jesus were here to live with us, to walk with us, to talk with us and teach us. Just think about this in the life of the disciples before Jesus was the one who 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 would teach them. But when the spirit comes on the apostles, they are then led into all truth and they are teaching. They write the New Testament and they spread the message of the gospel before you remember how how Jesus would teach them over and over again. And and the disciples just seemingly never got it. He would say something. They'd be like, we don't understand what you're talking about. And just over and over, Jesus is teaching. But now the spirit of God is within them and is teaching them and leading them into all truth so that Peter, his eyes are open and he can stand up and preach the gospel from the Old Testament and he can teach others because the spirit is now within him. Or just think again about Peter, how weak he was, how afraid he was. Remember, they the, the little girl accused him. You're one of Jesus' disciples, aren't you? And he, he's so scared of even this little girl. No, I don't know him. And finally, he, he curses. I don't know this man, right? And then Pentecost happens. Peter receives the Holy Spirit. And he's bold enough to stand up to all the religious people, all the people with the authority and say, hey, Jesus was God's son and you killed him. Now that takes some boldness to just tell people that. And that's the difference of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says it's more it's to your advantage that I go away because the spirit will come. He'll indwell you. He'll empower you. He'll teach you. He'll lead you into all truth. Not only this, though, we see that through the Holy Spirit that, in fact, that we enter into the fellowship of the Trinity. So in verse 20, it says that you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. What what a great encouragement it is for God's people to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, to have the fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son through the Holy Spirit. We see 
You know, in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to heaven to make a home for you. But in this way, the spirit is coming into us to make God's home in us. So one day in the future, we'll go to heaven to be with him. But now God has come to earth to be with us, to make his home within us through the Holy Spirit. And this this comforter that we have, this fellowship, the spirit of Christ that's within us, it isn't something that's going to leave. It isn't something that that is temporary. The spirit stays with his people forever. So in verse 16, he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This spirit never leaves us. He doesn't come and go no matter what you're going through, no matter the trials that you experience, no matter the sorrow that you have in your heart, the spirit of God is with his people always. What a great encouragement. What a great comfort to know that God is with us as we just sang. The Holy Spirit also secondly comforts us by assuring us that we are God's sons, that we are God's children. Now we know that Jesus clearly enjoyed a unique sonship that is unlike our sonship and and yet it is very similar. We, We know in uh, we can just think through the life of Jesus and how he, he called himself the Son of God. And the Pharisees even wanted to kill him because of this. Uh, because they understood that Jesus was saying that he was uniquely the Son of God. We think back to the baptism or, or the transfiguration of Jesus in which God speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. And in the baptism, he says, In whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration, he says, Listen to him. God puts his stamp on him that this is my son. God, Jesus said, the father revealed truth to Jesus in a unique way. He revealed to him all that he does, he said. And yet nowhere in the Gospels do we see this reality that Jesus was the son of God more clearly than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because it's there that we see the son who's facing the biggest trial of his life. And what do children do? Uh, when they're facing some great trial, they go to their father. They go to the, the, the one who loves them. And Jesus goes in Mark 14, he goes into the garden. He prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not your will, but my will. And he cries out, Abba, Father. In Mark, Mark chapter 14, 34. Abba, Father. That's a word in, in the original language that it, it's, a, it's a very dear word. Sometimes it's, it's compared to how a child might call his father, Daddy. This is a word of tenderness. This is a word of compassion. Jesus is facing the great trial of the cross as he's headed that way. And he cries out to his father, Father, listen to me. Help me in this great hour. We see Jesus as the son of God. But what a wonderful truth that through the Holy Spirit, we become the sons of God. In in, Maybe a different way somewhat than what Jesus was the unique son of God. And yet we share in that same relationship. We are sons of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem us, redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. 
The same thing that Jesus, the son of God, cries out as he's facing this great trial. Now the spirit of God, the spirit of God's son indwells us. We have the same spirit, the spirit of sonship. And now we cry out the same thing. We're sons of God. When you're going through trials, when you're going through sorrows, you can cry out to your father. He loves you. He cares for you. And those same tender words that Jesus cried in the garden, you can now cry out, Daddy, Father, help me. He's put us and given us this spirit of sonship. Paul says this again in Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom, by whom the spirit is by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Do you have the Holy Spirit within you? Is the Spirit bearing witness within you? Is the Spirit convincing you I'm a son of God? I can go directly to God and cry out to Him and, and pray to Him. Does the Spirit bear witness? Because that's what Paul says for all those who know God, for the, all those who have faith in Christ have received this adoption. And part of that adoption is God has put the Spirit of His Son within us so that we, just like Jesus, can cry out, Abba, Father. What greater comfort can we have than to know that we're able to cry out to God as sons that he cares for us. Is there any father here, any mother here who would hear the cries of their children and who would not answer, who would not help when they were truly in need? I would dare say there's not one. And our heavenly father, when he hears the cries of his sons and daughters here on this earth, he will hear them. He will answer. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we receive this blessing. The third thing that we see this morning is that the Holy Spirit comforts us by fueling our prayers to God. The Holy Spirit comforts us by fueling our prayers to God. You can look at Romans 8, 26. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What we find here is just as, as Jesus, again, we're just seeing that, that the Holy Spirit is continuing the ministry of of Jesus to his people. And so you think back to the, the Gospels and you remember Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And now that is the work of the Holy Spirit teaching us how to pray. It says here, we don't know how to pray as we ought. What we see in this passage, I think two fundamental truths. First of all, the Holy Spirit stirs up within us longings and desires and thoughts that we then voice to God. He stirs up these groanings, he says. I think the groanings, though, are our groanings. He, he, he causes and stirs our heart so that we, are, we have a Godward focus, a Godward impulse. When we're going through these trials, it's the Spirit that says, pray to God. Take this to your Father. And, and He stirs up those groanings that we then in prayer voice to God. He gives us the desire to go to God. They're our groanings, but they're groanings in this passage that the Spirit stirs within us. But then what we also see here is that he helps us 
by knowing what to pray. It says here that we don't know what to pray for as we ought in Romans 8. We, we don't know what to pray. And so the Spirit leads us. And again, this is kind of that work of an advocate who would come along somebody, alongside someone, and, and kind of help them. This is your testimony. Maybe this is what you ought to say. This is that legal advocate kind of uh, deal. And now the Spirit is doing that. He's, he's helping us. He's creating these impulses, these desires within us to cry out to God. But not only that, He's helping us know what to say. He, he's interceding for us by, by teaching us how we ought to pray. This fits with the, the work of the comforter. Sometimes when we face sorrows and disappointments and trials of life, we're left at a loss to even know what to pray or how to pray. And the Spirit helps us in that. This is why in other places in the New Testament, it encourages us to, encourages us to pray in the Spirit. I think this is one of the things sometimes I, I hear people say, well, my prayer life is kind of lacking. I pray and I, I don't see answers. I don't see God at work. But I think so often the problem is we're not praying in the Spirit. We're not seeking the Spirit. What does the Spirit want us to be praying to God? And as we line up, as we, as we begin to pray the prayers that the Spirit is stirring within us, and we're, we begin to voice those to God, we pray in the Spirit and God will hear and God will answer. We're, we're often not led by the Spirit. A fourth thing that we see this morning is that the Holy Spirit comforts us by assuring us of our salvation. You know, one of the greatest comforts our hearts can receive in times of sorrow is to know that we're loved and that the one who loves us is not going anywhere. Uh, what a great encouragement. So one of the most difficult things, and, and sometimes, you know, uh, people say that, you know, who, you find out who your true friends are when you go through some trial, when, you, when you're in a time of need, and then you see who steps up. And that's a sign that that's a true friend. What you find a lot of times is there are people that, oh, they like to hang out with you when things are going well, but when things make a turn for a worse, then you see who stands shoulder to shoulder with you and who helps you. And that's what we find in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, this comforter that's coming alongside of you to help you is someone who's going to be with you forever. He's not going anywhere. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So a comforter to be with you forever. The Bible describes this work of the Holy Spirit in a couple different ways of giving us assurance that God loves us. The first is by telling us that, that the Holy Spirit is a seal. That he seals us. And so we find this in, in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. And then notice what it says here. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, in Ephesians 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Or 2 Corinthians 1, 21, and it is God who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the, the Holy Spirit is said to be a seal. Well, what does that mean that he, he seals us? Well, my mind goes back when I think about a seal to when I worked in, in Louisville at UPS. We would load the trucks up and afterwards you lock the door and then you take this little uh, plastic strip with a, a number on there and you would loop it through the hole and, and put it on there. 
And that was the seal. And there was a number on it. And then you'd write that number on the manifest. The truck driver would get that. And when he got where he was going to deliver that, he would give the manifest to the people and they would look at the numbers. Yep, this is the same number. There's the seal. We know that this load has not been tampered with. It hasn't been messed around with. It It got safely where it was going. And that's the work that the Spirit does for us. He gets us safely where we're going. This metaphor, in fact, might more accurately be depicted by a king. Kings had seals in, in this day and time. Uh, that would have been common. And, and the, the king would seal something with his stamp. And that was a guarantee. All, all the authority of the king, all the authority and the might of the military that he ruled over saw to it that whatever this was got delivered where it was going and nobody tampered with it. Nobody messed with it. And that's what Paul is saying. God has given us the Holy Spirit within us to be with us, a personal seal to go with us, to get us where we're going, to make sure that we will safely arrive. Where does he say? Ephesians 1.13, to the day of redemption. He sealed us until the day of redemption. You see, we're headed somewhere. We're going to our ultimate salvation. We're going to the day of redemption and you have the Holy Spirit to see to it that you get where you're going. All the authority of God, all the power of God is at the disposal of the Holy Spirit to get you to the day of redemption. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul in a couple of these passages says that the Spirit was our seal, that He acted as the guarantee of our inheritance. And that word guarantee really just means a down payment. We understand that, right? You owe this much money. and Let me give you a down payment. It's a portion of, of the total amount that I owe to you. It's a portion of that, but it guarantees that I'm going to follow through. Uh, it, it, it makes sure I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make that full payment. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment. God has made all kinds of promises to His people. He's promised us eternal life. He's promised us a home in heaven. He's promised us salvation. And He's given us right now the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee that He will carry through to the end. That He will see to it that we get and, and receive all that He's promised to us. He's the down payment in another place. Uh, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, is said to be the first fruits. It's the sample. It's the first fruit that come up. And it, it's saying, hey, there's going to be more. There's more coming. But here's this now. The Holy Spirit then gives us security. And this is an objective reality. You know, sometimes I talk to Christians and they say, you know, I'm doubting my salvation or my faith is, is struggling. But this is an objective reality. There are certain workings of the Holy Spirit that are subjective. There are things that we feel. That there are things that we experience. But listen, your salvation, if you're truly a child of God, it's a guarantee. It doesn't matter if you feel like it is or not. It doesn't matter if your faith is weak or if it's strong. You are guaranteed if you have received the Holy Spirit. This salvation, it's an objective reality. As we come to a close this morning, I just want us to think about a couple of things as we sort of apply this to us. I think this ought to be a great comfort for us in two ways in particular. First of all, I think it ought to be a comfort just for us to consider the love that the Holy Spirit has for us. Again, I talked about last week how, you know, we talk about the love of God for God so loved God. The father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loves us. God, the father loves us so much that he would give his son. What an amazing thing. And then we talk about the love of 
of the Son. The fact that Jesus, Philippians 2, would empty Himself. That He would pour out. That He would come and take humanity. And then He would die an ignoble death like the cross. That He would do that because He loved you. And what an amazing thing now to think about that the Spirit so loves us. That He comes like a close friend when we are in sorrow, when we are going through trials, and He comes to comfort us. And He never leaves us. And He doesn't go away. He's always there with us. It's an act of condescension. Just like Jesus condescended and He he became a human being and died on the cross, so the, the Spirit condescends to us. He comes down to our level and He doesn't leave us and He stays with us and He comforts us. He He lifts us up when we're in times of despair. You know, Jesus, by giving us this promise, He's pretty much guaranteeing you're going to go through times of sorrow. Right? As a Christian, there's going to be sorrow But let me give you a comfort in that sorrow. And it is the Holy Spirit. It's a person to come to live with us, to be with us, and to help us. What an amazing act of love on the part of the Holy Spirit for us. The Spirit loves us. He's a person. He he loves us. But then let let me just encourage you as, as we close with this, not to grieve the work of the Spirit. I think the Bible warns us in in different places in Ephesians. Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. We understand that. Like you throw water on a fire, right? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person uh, and and he can be grieved. He can be, we can cause him sorrow. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit and and don't don't quench the working of the Spirit. Well, Well, how can we do that? How can we grieve the Spirit in this work of comforting us? Well, we can do that when we don't receive his comfort. When we turn to other things, and we look for our comfort in things of this world rather than in the comfort that comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And how many of us do that? What what do you do? Where do you go when when you're depressed? When you're feeling low? When you've been rejected? When you're lonely? When you're uncertain about the future? When you're heartbroken? Where do you go? Where do you turn? Some of us turn to comfort food. We turn to different things to comfort us, right? Uh, That's almost a joke, and yet it's true, isn't it? I mean, I experience that. Man, I'm depressed. I'm feeling down. Let me go grab a bag of chips and just eat all of them because that will really comfort me, right? Let's turn on the TV. Let's turn to this entertainment. Let's turn to that and seek for comfort, right? i got to get this out of my mind. Some people turn to alcohol or drugs. I need something to numb the pain, something to comfort me in this difficult time. And God's saying, look, I provided. The Spirit said, I'm here to comfort you. Take comfort in the fact that I'm with you. Take comfort in my fellowship. Take comfort in the fact that I'm leading you to cry out to your Father for help in this time. Take comfort that I'll I'll never, I'll never go away. Take comfort in the fact that I'm working for your salvation to guarantee it right now. Take comfort in those things. Don't take comfort in food. Don't take comfort in in sex or in TV or in, in Facebook or in some relationship. Seek comfort in the comfort that God has given you through the Holy Spirit. Turn to Him. Pray. Read the Word. And there's a comfort. There's, the Bible says there's a joy that passes all understanding. You see, the, the, at the end of the day, all those things that we look for comfort in, they don't ultimately provide it, do they? But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will truly provide comfort for, for hearts that are broken and for hearts that are sad. This is the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. He is our comforter. Will you pray with me? 
Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are grateful to you this morning that you do love